welcome to New Energy Explainers. I'm Tim Johnson from Johnson Energy Consulting. Today we're looking at commercial embedded networks, uh, what they are and how they work. Uh, to help me with this, I'm joined today by Clive Pierce. He is the Managing Director of Energy On in Australia. <clears throat> Energy On simplifies the supply and billing of utilities such as electricity, hot water, cold water, gas and heating uh, in a range of spaces like apartment buildings, office complexes, shopping centres, retirement villages, airports, industrial estates, that sort of thing. So Clive, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Tim, and uh, thank you for, uh, for having me. No problem at all. Um, I've got a bunch of questions here. I'll fire them at you. My first one is simply, uh, why would a business manager or someone in charge of an organization want to create an embedded network? Uh, yes. Well, the reason that um, a business manager would want to create an embedded network is, um, in short, to reduce costs. Um, and embedded networks where the private and local network uh, distributes and sells the electricity to the occupiers and uh, if this occurs in a multi-tenant environment, it won't work if there's only one tenant really. Um, and so it can be used for residential, commercial, uh, retail and a mix, etc. Uh, and in the sort of uh, site that we're talking about, you can imagine that there'd be a retail shop, uh, you know, or even a cafe, something like that, as well as whatever normal commercial operations you've got at each of your other occupiers. Okay. Um, we touched on one thing there just quickly. The, the 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 arrangement could be with the landlord or it could be with an owner's corporation. Is that right? Uh, yes. Uh, there would hmm. be a an owner of the embedded network, uh, and that can be the OC on behalf of all the owners, or it can be the landlord or other people as well. But uh, essentially, they're the ones that we'd be interested in today. Um, okay. And it's on that on their behalf that Energy On would get involved with um, things like the bulk purchasing of electricity for the whole site, um, rather than for the individual uh, occupiers. Now that means that there's going to be an economy of scale in the bulk purchase, um, and that will obviously lead to reduced costs across the the board. Um, it also means that with an embedded network, when it's set up, you actually avoid all the multiple network connections. Uh, there's only one, and so that's a reduced cost that's going out from the from the site to pay the local network service providers, etc. Um, and so there's there's various ways in which there'll be discounts in terms of what's purchased. The other way. Uh, that there's a benefit and why a business manager would want to set it up is that it can manage the energy consumption across the whole site, not just for individual lots, which means that if energy is not being used for one person, it can be used by somebody else. And so the coincident requirement for, for energy is reduced. It enables the introduction of solar uh, batteries, energy efficiency initiatives, etc., which again are spread across the site rather than um, for the individual uh, tenancies. So 
a number of benefits in terms of the efficiency, not the least of which is a fully managed service, which alerts the owner or the OC, etc., to what's going on if there are problems in the network, but also to undertake the procurement and the management, etc., of the embedded network. So, in short, it's uh, it reduces the overall costs, and therefore it's a uh, it's a it's a good solution for a business manager to look at. Uh, okay, yeah, and you 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 just touched on that last piece. One bit of feedback I've had in the past is, oh, we don't want to do the billing. The billing's going to be complicated. How will that all work? And also, we have to make sure we get it right because it's got to be every tenant's got to be able to see how much they're getting billed and why they're getting billed. So, in simple terms, how does the billing work? Well, it's a very good point uh, because it, the billing is very important in this whole thing. Not the least of uh, the reasons for that is because it's quite regulated because we're now talking about the energy industry and their regulations. And so there are guidelines like the Better Bills Guidelines, which tells you what has to be on the invoice. And it also prescribes uh, how you follow up if an invoice is not paid and all sorts of things like that. So what what we do is, of course, we have uh, regular meter readings which we then, in our billing system, translate into an invoice. And then we have procedures for following up if it's not paid and uh, alerting them, etc. And these are all areas that are regulated. And so you can't just go wandering down to somebody's factory or outlet and say, oh, look, you haven't paid your bill for, uh, for five days because the minimum requirement might be two weeks. And so you, you can't actually start following up until that two weeks has elapsed and a whole lot of other aspects of things like that. Um, we we actually run a call centre um, because we're talking about business-to-business -business, uh, transactions in terms of invoices, etc., and also business-to-customer. And so our call centre is very well versed to actually talk to the customers about what their rights are, what comparable uh, tariffs are available, and any other uh, issues that they might have. We believe we've got the best retail call centre in Australia. Um, and we've got a 4.7 Google Star rating, which, mm. you know, if you've had a few uh, reviews, that's unprecedented in terms of a retailer. Uh, and that's because they really do care and they're passionate about getting the right solutions. We're, we're talking to, um, uh, to two state regulatory bodies um, about concessions and how they're managed. Um, one isn't really doing much with regard to concessions, but the other one's reached out to us and asked, well, how are we going to run this? Because we've got experience from other states. Um, and this is all to do with the importance of not just the invoicing, but that whole interface. Mm -hmm. And just at a really top level, uh, if a building didn't have solar and solar was installed, obviously you don't, almost never are you going to disconnect the grid, you're going to keep the grid connection. So you've got two sources of electricity, you've got the electricity coming off the roof uh, from the solar and then you've got the electricity coming from the grid. Do you generally, with the billing, do you generally bundle the two? Mm. Uh, 
We've got a very versatile billing platform, so we can have special tariffs for the solar if required. Um, and there are a number of different ways we can do that. Some of it will require extra infrastructure. In general, what we do is actually have it at the one the one tariff or the one uh, tariff approach so that it doesn't matter whether it's solar or whether it's uh, grid-provided power. It all just gets charged the same amount. But, of course, that amount can be lower because we're buying less from the grid with all the network costs and things like that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, and so I know we were chatting before there's two, sort of two general scenarios here. One is where the, the building has not yet been built, where uh, the landlord or the developer uh, might be wanting to install it and set it up. Um, but in this case, we're talking more about uh, somebody who's running a business and they identify that they've got other tenants who might be interested in, in setting one of these up. Um, and so in that circumstance, when does this work best and when does it not really work? Uh, when when would you consider someone maybe not eligible but not uh, n- not suited for this? Okay, it's, um, it's good that we're focusing on existing buildings because there is a, a different process for uh, an existing building that wants to convert from traditional grid supplies. Um, and there are more costs associated because the um, switchboard will most likely meet, need modification. Uh, the whole of the supply has to be metered at one place rather than across all the individual connections, etc. now. So there'll be a cost associated with it. But there are also regulatory requirements to get the go-ahead to actually install the embedded network. And that means that you've got to actually get a survey, or more than a survey, but but, uh, to actually ask the owners, whether it's one owner or individual owners, um, whether they support the embedded network. It's called explicit informed consent. So you've got to tell them what happens in the embedded network, how it works and everything like that, and roughly what tariffs. And then they say, yes, we want to be involved in that. And they have to get over about an 80, 85%, depending which jurisdiction, uh, affirmative vote for that. So you then got that, and then you actually start doing the planning, et cetera, um, to get into uh, a, a virtually a business case. Where does it work best? Uh, well, it really depends on the consumption, um, but also on the number of uh, commercial tenancies or whatever you've got in the in the site. Um, so I generally say that if there are five or ten factories, um, then it's likely to be a goer as long as they're you know, used for, for a reasonable amount of uh, uh, time during the day. Um, if it was retail outlets in the shopping centre, etc., might be more like 20 or 25 retail outlets. It really depends on a number of factors, including the local tariffs in the distribution area and you know all the comparative savings and the like, uh, including mm. estimating what you're going to be able to purchase at and therefore what you're going to be able to uh, to sell to the occupiers. 
Uh, tariffs can be bundled or unbundled. If they're big enough, they could be unbundled. Um, and that, of course, is all another requirement on the billing system. And we actually need to understand what the tariffs are for every distributor in Australia and for a lot of the retailers, how they approach their business and how we can buy most effectively from them. So uh, in terms of where it works best, you know, it's a sweet spot and it's not exact. Where does it not work so well? If there's only uh, a few occupiers, then um, vacancy becomes more of an issue. You know, if you set everything up, but then everything's vacant, etc. Um, so there are levels at which we would prefer not to be involved in an embedded network if it's not going to actually make money for the for the owners' corporation. Um, we do evaluations of a site before we take them on to actually mm -hmm. look at all of that, even before we do exemptions and applying for them and all of that. Okay, and I think I think one thing I've run into a few times is the, the physical layout. Um, am I right in saying that? It's not effective to create an embedded network with cabling between buildings. You really need to have the building as a single existing. Uh, you can't really be putting in cabling because it'll cost so much that it'll offset any savings. Is that right? Uh, again, it, it depends. We've looked at one which had five buildings, uh, a mixture of offices and manufacturing, and it was just a matter of them burying cables in between switchboards. Um, okay. And then having a couple of subsidiary switchboards to minimise the amount of cabling that was required. Um, so it's all a matter of really identifying what what the issues are and looking at the cost-effective ways of solving them. Mm -hmm. And we've been involved in a number of those. Um, and, and they become quite exciting when you actually look at how you can do things and, and the like. Um, you know, we've got national customers in some of our embedded networks. Sometimes nationals don't, you know, like made to chains, don't like to buy from embedded networks. Uh, they prefer to have a centralised purchasing. But um, but we find that embedded networks can usually chase down the tariffs that they get even on big national multi, multiple site uh, contracts, mm. etc. So, you know, the embedded networks are really very, very efficient. Um, we also like the benefits to stay with the owners' corporation. So a number of years ago, we started a fair fee for service type approach to our our services, and um, that has proven to be uh, quite a favour within some embedded networks. And so they go for the fair fee for service. Um, others do a retailer approach, and they take a bit more risk on, but they keep all profits, etc. One of the things, how does it work that the fair service option? Uh, well, the fair service option is just um, that we nominate how much it's going to cost per meter per month to look after the embedded network and all the functions, and that's the amount that they pay. The alternative is, you know, it all just goes into a bucket and you don't know whether it's running well or not. So reporting is another yep. important aspect of what we do as well. Yes, and so I'm guessing, do you always set up some sort of interface so that tenants can see their consumption or you, with documentation? Yes, that's part of our um, our billing system. So they've got the access to be able to see what their consumption is, their current invoices are, and, and all that sort of thing. 
Okay. Um, and so just on that last point, what is, uh, how much can people save? Is it, if, if you're, if you're uh, in a good situation, what, what sort of savings have you seen? We've seen savings up to 40%. Brilliant. So, um, you know, it, it just depends on whether everything is the as well set up as it can be. And that's the embedded network, but the network tariffs that feed it, and everything else like that. So okay, and, and you see, um, okay. uh, so you see that um, the occupiers are going to get reduced rates with um, with that sort of environment. But also, um, thought if if you wanted to, the OC would be able to uh, have some of those funds as well. So we can actually manage what that split is. So that, you know, there could be something towards repairs and maintenance or replacement of meters or, or whatever else, which is then part of the operation of the embedded network, not a requirement for owners to put in more funds to actually support them. Yeah, that's uh, great. Obviously, yeah, regul- savings could fund different things, yeah. Mm. Regulations also um, include um, what the maximum tariffs can be in embedded networks. Um, There's also a concept of um, the power of choice, which is the ability to buy from any retailer. So uh, to support that function, there's an embedded network manager function within, uh, it can be separate or it can be within the embedded network operations that we offer. And uh, they're the ones who have to help an occupier go to another retailer other than the embedded network, if they require. In that case, they get two invoices, one for the electricity, one for the network. But again, that's something that has to be done through the billing system, but is a requirement of getting the exemption, etc. There are a lot of things, especially, I might just say, especially uh, safety. There are policies that are required as any retailer would have. Now, not all embedded network operators are retailers, authorised retailers. We are. Yeah. Uh, but, so we've got all of the policies, as any embedded network operator should have, covering safety and occupational health, uh, the debtor's recovery approach, hardship, uh, concessions, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, we have to keep a, a, um, an accurate single-line diagram of the site, because if anyone's going on to site, they need to know what is going to be live and what's going to be off mm. if a, a switch is flipped. And this is energy regulations, because you know accidents can happen and lives can be lost, and it, and that's mm. the standard that you have to reach. Mm. Mm. Um, and so, if you've got a, I'm just curious. What what percentage of the of your of the networks you set up are a hundred percent of tenants involved with, or less than a hundred? So, in other words, if I'm listening to this and I'm I'm getting excited about the idea of it, is it is it okay if some tenants decide not to join? Uh, yes, it is okay. Uh, as I say, you need um, some fairly high bars to set up a um, a retrospective embedded network. So you wouldn't really want it happening at that stage because you might not get to the level you wanted to. But, um, uh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought there. Um, so you'd want to get a commitment from 
you'd, you'd almost need a bar, wouldn't you, where you say, as the owner's corporation, you'd need to have a commitment from a certain number of people to justify the project going ahead. But it, yes, and, and from a, a regulatory point of view, if we didn't have a certain level, it wouldn't go ahead. You wouldn't be allowed to actually do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. But there, there are um, a few people who don't purchase from our embedded networks. But in general, uh, it would be far less than 1% who didn't buy from the embedded network. Mm-hmm. Well, well okay. below that. And that's because they actually, we actually talk with them about, you know, what their better prices they think they could get and all that sort of thing. Um, and, and just work with them to, uh, to try and keep them in the embedded network. And if they want to go, they go. But it's um, certainly a very low percentage. We have so many five-star reviews because people like dealing with us. And for us, that's fantastic. And that's why we do business the way we do. Yeah, great. Okay. Um, I've got sort of one last, a couple quick ones. Um, I remember talking to a school at one point and they were obviously holidays, there's no one there, weekends, there's no one there. And they were very excited to be able to share their electricity with the surrounding area. Um, and we, we ran into a cabling issue in that case. But do you often see, that feels like a great use case for this. Um, do you see that happening a lot? No, no. Uh, the regulations are set up that you've got a, for instance, a school has usually got one NME or maybe a couple. But uh, if they want to export, they have to go through the NIMI back into the network and then that's purchased by a retail and set across. So unless they've got um, other ways of doing it, and there aren't a lot, then they can't really do that. We yeah. we used to look after a uh, um, a very large uh, block of schools, and they had that problem continually um, that they were going off on holidays, didn't have the demand on site, and so they were just exporting it. We have one situation where a building manager turned it off because they were going on holidays and then forgot to turn it back on again. <laughs> and so if we hadn't been monitoring the site, they would have had no solar until they got a statement and then they'd be saying, hang on, why haven't we got any solar here? Why are we paying so much more at the grid? That's it. Uh, I mean, this is, this is an embedded network's all about managing the demand, managing the consumption for the site. Um, yeah. You can imagine with solar or with a battery even. In an embedded network, you can share the use of that to any other tenancies. In individual grid connected, you can't because anything from one solar system has to go back into the grid and then come back in again. So you lose all the benefit. Yes, that's 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 the message I got pretty early on was the minute you're pushing electricity back into the grid, it's a completely different game. This, this is all about keeping it uh, on uh, behind the meter or on 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 the property side of the of the grid, so I've definitely got that. Um, so probably the last one is just how long does it take? I mean, if you get someone calling up saying how hey, we want to do this, I don't know if there's an average, but does it take years or months or? It doesn't take years, uh, although some owners corporations can take years to make a decision. Um, it actually takes months, but it's not. Generally, just one or two months. It's more like three, four, or five, uh, and that's because it has to. You have to get your votes. You have to report on all of that to the uh, the relevant regulatory body, 
they have to process it, look at it, assess it, etc. They come back to you, then you have to do, you know, register for your exemptions, do the switchboard work, etc. Um, so yeah. it's definitely months. Yeah, so I think that's the message. I seem to be getting, well, it's, it's why, I've, why I've set up the business and I'm sure why you have is that there's significant savings to be had, but there is a bit of complexity and it does require um, call centres and, and experience and, and things like that. So I think, you know, I just want, I want to make sure people aren't scared off by the length of the process or the difficulty because it can be managed. It just takes a little bit of time. I, I suppose the important thing is, though, that... Um, we're used to doing this sort of thing. And so it doesn't have to come down to the owner's uh, corporation committee or the building managers or the OC manager or anything like that to be doing this. Uh, we can help them through each of these stages in the process. We don't do switchboard work, etc. but I mean, and that's really available for them anyway. And so mm. we can help ease them through the process as much as possible. Yeah, great. Okay, um, we've probably gone a little bit over time, but Clive, that's fantastic. I yeah. really appreciate you giving all those insights, a huge amount of information in a short time. But um, thank you very much for your time, and uh, I'll see you again soon. Well, thank you very much for uh, inviting me, Tim, and, and uh, it's been a pleasure. Great. Thanks, mate.